Welcome to the Teaching Tax Flow Podcast, where the goal is to empower and educate you to legally and ethically minimize taxes paid over your lifetime. Welcome, everybody, back to Teaching Tax Flow, the podcast. We're now on episode six. We're flying through these things. Um, the topic for this show specifically, we're looking at lending and portfolio refinancing. So obviously, I'm sure everybody knows what lending and portfolio refinancing is. If not, you're in the right place. Isn't that right, Chris? And if, yeah, exactly. If you don't know or do know, you're going to learn a lot today. I am so excited about our special guest. And um, I learn a lot every time we speak. And I look at her resources that she brings to the table as an investor. Um I'm really excited about this podcast. Excellent. Excellent. Now, speaking of that, of her, of her being on this podcast, so let's put her on a pedestal, but let's talk a little <laughs> bit about her. Um, let's mention the company first. So the mortgage shop. So clearly, you know that we're talking to somebody that knows what they are talking about. So being resourceful, um, I think we got a good person here. So why don't you go ahead and I'll do the drum roll. Do the introduction. All right. That's our music for the night. So why why I stuck to accounting. Right. So Brenna Carls is with us from the mortgage shop. Brenna and her team do an amazing job uh, with investment property financing. One of the many reasons I wanted to have her on the show was that a lot of what they do fits into the teaching tax flow ecosystem. Uh, On the red diagnosis, what we call for for those high marginal tax rate folks that really want to have more cash. We talk about one of our laws of teaching tax flow is cash flow does not equal tax flow. So if someone's looking for some cash and they don't want to liquidate or sell a property, but they do want access to some of the equity, portfolio refinance is a great opportunity to to pull some equity out of a property and not have to get hit with a tax burden at the time they pull that out. The other thing we like to talk about is our goal tax strategy, tax-free income and growth. And one of the ways, one of the strategies we teach is building a rental portfolio. And you obviously could build and scale a rental portfolio faster if you have a lending partner. Another thing, John, since you asked, we teach is building out your own board of directors. And part of your board of directors needs to be someone from a lending perspective that you have a relationship with, that you treat as a partner, not just a vendor. And that's why I'm really excited for Brenna to be here. So Brenna, welcome to the Teaching Tax Flow Show. Great to be here. So excited to be here and nerd out on tax, all things tax and all things mortgage. Well, they really go hand in hand. And, um, you know, I would say until we started really working with a lot of uh, the people that know what they're doing in the lending industry, the tax community, the CPAs, and the lenders always see. I used to make a joke that World War III is going to be the underwriters and the, and the tax preparers, uh, because our job is to legally and ethically reduce the taxes you pay in your lifetime. Um, we teach that, but we also teach about the difference between lendability or taxability and lendability or bankability. So, um, Speaking about that, I want to dive in, uh, Brenna. I know that the mortgage shop has a lot of different programs. Can you give us a 30,000-foot view for our listeners? Because a lot of the listeners have a primary residence, and they're starting to think about investment property, or they're just getting started on their journey. What's some of the bigger differences, 30,000-foot view, between applying for a primary residence mortgage versus an investment property? So primary residence mortgage is obviously that, right? You're not looking to 
make money from it initially. You know, you can live in it for a year, then rent it out and purchase another one. But the primary difference is investment. You're literally doing it to invest to make money, whether it be short-term rental income, long-term rental income, if you want tenants in there with a lease agreement and things of that nature. And obviously file that rental income on your Schedule E to create a little bit of a side income for you, starting to get that saved up in your checking account um, for that property to build your portfolio, basically to buy more properties and use that cash that you're getting from these properties as your leverage. Exactly. And we know that one, we know, a lot of what we teach is where to report your rental income by default. If you're a single member LLC, uh, which is a disregarded entity, of course, you should have listened to that podcast, John. Of course. Uh, you were there. Oh, yeah. I guess I was. Right? Uh, yeah, you were. <laughs> and and uh, Or if you own a property personally, it will go on Schedule E. Um, if you're a partnership then then there's or an S Corp, it goes on a different place in 8825. So yeah, exactly. Making sure that you are working with the right professionals to, to report that rental income. And um, a lot of times with the with the tax laws the way they're written now, you would you could have a nice cash flow from a rental property, but not necessarily trigger any tax to be paid. So uh, we won't dive into those tax strategies yet, but um Brenda, can you explain when you look from a lending perspective, when you're looking at a Schedule E or when you're looking at rental property that it's reported on a, a tax return, what are, are there, is there anything that gets added back, you know, to determine how a property is performing from a lending perspective? Yeah. So we can, we look at things like mortgage interest, amortization, depreciation, um, take that all into account. Look at what your rental income is per, for the year. We also look, you know, the days that it shows fair rental days. A lot of people don't really know what what that is. And so we always look to see how long it was rented. If it's less than 365 days, I go in and I say, you know, I look in at their credit report and be like, okay, they just purchased this. That's why it shows less than 365 or 366 if it's a leap year. Um, And then if not, I say, okay, did you have many major repairs? Because that way we can annualize the income if we have one or the other proof of that. If they just sat down and didn't feel like renting it out. And that was the only reason we couldn't annualize that income. And so it would show a lot less and it would probably actually show a loss because we didn't have to deduct that monthly mortgage payment uh, to get that net rental income. And that's a great point. I would like the, the listeners um, to take a peek at your tax return, something that's that I know our private practice looks at. And a lot of the CPAs that I know in, in the real estate space, they you have to be careful. There's some questions on that Schedule E that says days, yeah, days rented uh, the property, days personal use. And they seem like really innocent questions, but they could be very a big factor when you're looking at that bankability. Um, so that's something to consider. When you're, when you're uh, having your tax returns prepared. And Chris, to, to your point too, something that I don't want to forget about. I know earlier on, you know, you talked about partnering with a good, with a good lending partner. And Brennan, as far as for the mortgage shop goes, what states do y'all operate in? Any specific? Or I, I know y'all are in Tennessee. Do you focus mainly on Tennessee? Yeah. So we, let me go down the list. Um, so we, can do, <laughs> we got uh, time. If you got time, we're yeah, good. <laughs> the, we can do the DSER debt service coverage ratio in most states um, because that's non QM or non conform uh, qualified mortgage. Uh, but for conforming, if you wanted to do take advantage of that, you know, 10% down second home or 15% down investment property, we are Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma, 
Ohio, Wisconsin, uh, Montana, and Nevada. Cool. And not, not Nevada. That, and you, that one's the one that's really complicated. We are in um, North Carolina. I don't know why I said Nevada. Hey, maybe we're all just thinking about going to Vegas or something. Right, I don't much. know. <laughs> it sounds good, it's right? This seems very nice really, and warm, climate-wise. Really yeah, it's a really complicated state to get um, licensed in, so it's been on my mind for a while. Well, and you mentioned uh, that term DSCR versus a conventional or conforming loan. Can you can you expand on what I mean? What that what that acronym means, and yeah. um, for our listeners. Yeah, so a conforming loan is what's known as a full dock loan, which means we go off of your income, your assets, and your debt that shows up on your credit report. That's conforming. And then a non-QM or a non-qualified mortgage just means that we don't go off of that stuff. And there's not all of that truth in lending um, things that we have to follow that Fannie Mae and the Fed have put in place. And a DSCR loan is stands for debt service coverage ratio loan. It does not go off your personal debt or personal income. It goes off the property or purchasing's proposed monthly rental income and the proposed monthly mortgage payment. Usually you want to see a one-to-one -one ratio, which means if your mortgage payment is $3,000, then that rental income needs to be $3,000 or more. Now, the cool thing about that is like if you do have a, let's say you went from self-employed to W-2, obviously we have to have a two-year history of either. So DCR is good for that. And it doesn't go off your debt to income. So if you're trying to expand your portfolio as quickly as possible, that's a loan option for you. And that's a great point. I, I've been a part of both both types of loans. Um, on the DSCR, what's typically your range of down payment? Uh, obviously, it's going to depend on market and, and a lot of factors. But just to give the listeners an idea, especially those that are really focusing on buying that first investment property, property especially a short-term rental property. Yeah, for DSCR, it's general rule of thumb across the board is 20%. Um, so it's same if you, so for conforming, let's say you wanted to do it off of your debt to income ratio. You can do 15% down up to what we are honoring as the 2023 conforming loan limit, which means not jumbo, is 715000 So that's a loan amount. Of course, the purchase price will be higher. Then anything over that's considered jumbo and it's 20% down. So if you're doing a jumbo conforming, then it's 20% down. If you're doing DSCR, it's still 20% down. So either way, you can use that as your leverage. You can also close a DSCR loan uh, directly into your LLC. That, great segue because I know that um, um, we have a lot of clients and myself personally at one, one time was that we uh, engaged in a 1031 exchange and we were actually able to use a, uh, uh, a DSCR loan to jump it, you know, get that 1031 exchange. And it was nice on the 1031 exchange with as far as um, not having to worry about seasoning. And we already know that down payment was at a qualified intermediary. So there's a lot of things to, to consider. It sounds like my question would be is if someone's thinking about applying and working with you or one of the awesome people at the mortgage shop, when should they talk to you? Um, probably, you know, in that process of looking for a property, uh, just so I say general rule of thumb is three to four weeks before you're ready to offer, because this is what happens. Have you guys ever like looked at a car that you want to purchase? And then you see that car everywhere when you're going somewhere. It's because it's in your mind. It's, it's literally psychology. So if mm -hmm. somebody's like, okay, in three to four weeks, I'm going to start offering on a property. 
Well, then they see this property that comes up that might be a unicorn to them. And they're like, oh, I really need to offer on that. Well, guess what? They haven't started their pre-approval process. So by the time that they do that, that property may already be gone and have an accepted offer. So I say three to four weeks before you're ready to offer on a property. Um, that way we can look at all of your loan options because we don't just put you in a box, right? We say, okay, let's look at what your long-term goals are. Let's see if you qualify for a conforming loan because they do have better terms. Or if you need to close in your LLC, let's look at the DSCR loan. If you're doing a 1031, let's sit down with your CPA and make sure that you have all of that figured out so you can actually do that 1031. So it's like a group, a group effort. It is board, Bill, your board of directors, right? I was I was gonna say I, I almost have a two-part response to that. The first one, Brandon, that may be the best analogy I've heard in a while regarding seeing the same, you know, seeing your favorite car, the one you want. This guy is standing next to me on this side of the table is notorious for analogies. That one definitely I think takes the cake of the day. It but, does. It does. It's and then awesome. On top of that, too, I mean, to really, really drive that home. I know we talk about building your your BODs, your board of directors. So I assume that it is more important than a lot of people realize to have obviously the partnership in place, say, say with y'all or any lender, but then also on the CPA side. And so everybody really knows what's out there, what's really required, especially for somebody looking to, you know, jump into that first investment property, as Chris, you had mentioned a little bit earlier. And so, so there's really not as many surprises. And if there is, you have the people in place that can communicate together to hopefully get you the, get you the closing table, get you moving instead of it, you know, getting, getting three weeks in, two weeks in and your, you know, your world blows up and all your plans fall apart. And then you're starting over and over again. So again, kind of driving that home on, on building that board. Isn't that right, Chris? You know, I love yeah, that, by the way. I know. <laughs> um, I have one more question and uh, for Brenna, just thinking about a lot of the experiences that we see out in the field um, and a lot of questions that we get in the teaching tax flow ecosystem. When someone's partnering up to buy a property, let's say they have a multi-member LLC and, a lot, and let's say it's a short-term rental property and you have multiple members. Um, and can we, you know, is that, how's that process different than just one person uh, buying the property in, 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 let's say it's a DSCR situation. Is there, so you're saying uh, like closing it in the LLC's name? Yeah. Let's say John and I went, wanted to buy a property together. We form an LLC. Um, you know, do both of us have to or do, you know, so we both side on the more, I know some be, of these answers, but I'm just, I know the questions I always get. So I, yeah. and, and you could answer them better than myself, but so how would that work from like, a lending perspective? both be on the loan. You don't have to both be on the loan. However, if you're a majority owner, so if it's a 50-50, then you're both majority owners. So we just need like the license of everybody that's a majority owner. Um, and then they will have to sign at closing as well for title to be on the LLC. Because again, you guys are majority owners. Um, and then with that partnership thing, um, let's say you wanted to just test the waters and do it in a personal name first. You know, always have an agreement in place to protect you and your partner. I feel like I have to preface that, but mm -hmm. let's say you want to do a conforming loan because it's a better interest rate. It's better terms. Make sure, try to make sure one of you qualifies for it by yourself and the other be on title. And then the next time the other partner go get the loan and you be on title, because if you guys are on one mortgage together, that's going to cap you for how many financed conforming properties you can have. And then if you two go your separate ways, that debt is going to 100% count against each of you 
on your next transaction. Right. Because let's say, unfortunately, if your partner passes away, that debt's yours. Like you're not getting out of it. So lenders have to count that 100% against you. So that's when we say, what's your long-term goals? Do you want to close it right in an LLC? Are you planning on just quick claiming it to an LLC? What are you wanting to do? Mm -hmm. And that's... I, I always use the term, what if, you know, someone gets hit by a beer truck? Cause I guess that's one way to go out, but, but what's going to happen? Um, this is amazing. And, and I know there are a lot of other things that the teaching tax law community would love to get some education on, um, such as that we, we don't have time to talk about today. We're talking about due on sale clause and seasoning requirements and different options, Brenna, what type of education do, does the mortgage shop offer? And and obviously, we're going to link up all of all of that content into the the show notes. Yeah. So I actually every Wednesday I do what's called mortgage shop prep, and so I get all of the clients that want to learn. I they join numerous times because there's different questions asked, but I go over all of the proper uh, the loans that can make you income essentially. I go over the frequently asked questions around them. I do go over the due on sale. I go over quick claims, all of that. And then I open it up to everybody to ask their questions um, so they can get better prepared and be better educated as a buyer. And that's mortgageshopprep.com. Um, and that's what I do every week. And they're welcome to join. It's free. It's just laid back Zoom meeting, you know. So they're just continuously learning and growing as an investor. That's why we really wanted you on the show. The mortgage shop does a great job of of educating, of consulting. The business, the business is the business will come if you educate and consult and with with people because then they're going to be they're going to feel empowered to make decisions and feel confident with that team. So, mm -hmm. we'll definitely, if you're listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to jump into one of Brenna's Wednesday sessions. Just educate yourself. This is something that not everyone has access to. Um, so, but now you do. The whole line of you don't know what you don't know. Right. <laughs> awesome, Brenda. Well, thank you again for, for joining us as well. Um, all the listeners on here, obviously we will put in, um, obviously the link to this podcast across our social platforms, as well as Brenda, we'll, we'll drop the link to y'all's website in our show notes as well. Um, anything else that you'd want to share about the mortgage shop? With anybody on here, I mean, besides that, you guys are fantastic. We already know that you don't have to. You don't have to go into that one, but <laughs> we are also investors, so we know what it's like to go through. So I've actually hired and onboarded and trained my pre some of my previous clients that started out as investors, and they know what cash flow is. They know what cash on cash return is. Um, you know, rate of whatever you put into it. You you have to have somebody that knows that because I can train, I can teach somebody guidelines. You can't teach people how to know about an investment property if they don't even own one. So we are seasoned investors. We know how exciting it is to get under contracts. And therefore we try to make every deal close for you guys in a great small amount of time. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, You've got to eat your own cooking. If I, John, you know, I loved that phrase. And that's why I love what the mortgage shop's doing. Thank you so much. And we are so excited to be part of uh, the same ecosystem with you. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys.
Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us, Chris. Thank you as always for dealing with me, standing next to you, nudging you on the show. My pleasure. Um, and as we keep moving forward, obviously we'll have some guests on with us. I know, Chris, we have some fantastic topics that me and you are going to be chatting through um, just a little bit about the the content that is part of teaching tax flow as well as, you know, as we kind of truck into the new new year already, it's going to be 2023 before we know it. So. Yep. Let's hit the ground running, get prepared, make sure that you plan for your acquisitions before you start making offers three to four weeks before you start seeing that car on the road. Excellent. That's a great mic drop. We're out of here. <laughs> Take care. Thank you, everybody. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.